Since 2016, CBF has brought you over 100 episodes of interviews with authors and practitioners for conversations that matter. These stories of creativity and innovation have garnered weekly support from around the United States and the world. We are inviting you, the listeners, to join us in connecting with the podcast. Become a monthly listener supporter and receive some perks, including name recognition on the podcast, questions for upcoming guests, free books from the podcast, joining the podcast for an interview, and a VIP experience with the General Assembly podcast guest. There are five levels of listener support, starting at $5 per month. For less than the cost of a pumpkin spice latte, you will be featured by name on the weekly podcast episode. For more information and to join the community of listener supporters, visit cbf.net slash podcast support. This is the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship's Conversations. We are bringing you stories from across the fellowship through interviews with people doing groundbreaking work and renewing God's world. Ideas, stories, and innovation from ministers, authors, and practitioners from across the fellowship and beyond. This is Andy Hale. We are honored that you join us each week for conversations that matter. That's why in 2020, we've tried to pivot to make sure that we are covering the things that need to be talked about, like the plague of racism in America and how the church is responding to the COVID-19 crisis. We're also coming up on our 150th episode, which would not be possible without listeners like you engaging each week in the conversation. Don't forget that you can be a part of supporting the podcast while receiving some great benefits, such as joining an interview with an upcoming guest, books from authors interviewed, and a VIP experience at this summer's General Assembly. We want to thank William Johnson and Cindy Folendorf for their monthly support of the podcast. Check out how you can support at cbf.net backslash podcast support. And now, on to our conversation. I'm Andy Hale, and this week we have a second special Facebook and YouTube live interview about DACA, the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals. In a few moments, I will introduce our guest, and we'll jump into our conversation. Uh, we do remind you on all these live conversations, you have the opportunity to submit some questions, um, though we can't promise that we'll get to all of them. But feel free to share them if you're either on Facebook or you're on YouTube. This podcast is annually sponsored by the Center for Congregational Health. At the center, we help lay leaders and clergy and congregations find their way to thrive in the midst of change. Our experienced and highly trained consultants and coaches don't prescribe one-size-fits-all solutions. Instead, we work with you to take your unique congregation ministry context serious. We believe in the wisdom for thriving comes from the leadership of the Spirit. We help create the spaces for congregations to hear and to recognize that God-given wisdom. Please visit our website, healthychurch.org, to learn more about the center and to find the help you need in order to thrive in ministry. Well, our guests for this week's live podcast interview are Jemima Martinez, and she is a Baptist DACA recipient who works at the database coordination of Buckner International, and Itziana Aguirre, who is also a DACA beneficiary and serves as an administrative assistant for Iglesia Baptista Victoria and Cristo in Fort Worth, Texas. Uh, thank you all for joining the conversation. Thank you, Andy, for, thank inviting, you for, for inviting us. Well, Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, DACA, is uh, kind of an administrative relief for from deportation. Uh, the purpose of DACA is to protect eligible immigrant youth who came to the United States when they were children from deportation. DACA gives young undocumented immigrants first protection from deportation and second work per uh, permit. 
Uh, the program expires after two years and is subject to renewal. So DACA has some requirements, including age restriction on those covered, continuous residence in the United States during the sanctioned period of time, uh, active participation in education through high school or receiving your GED, and having no conviction of felonies or more than three misdemeanors. Nearly 800,000 DREAMers um, have come forward, passed background checks, and been granted permission to live and work legally in the United States. So these are just some of the basic facts. Um, but what should we know about uh, DACA? Uh, Himaima, we'll start with you. Um, well, I would like to add that most of us came when we were children, so we didn't have any saying. Uh, we didn't have any opinion, in, like if we wanted to make this decision or not. And it was a life-changing decision. Um, I moved here when I was 13 years old. And even though I was excited to uh, be part of this education system, because I've heard many like good things about it, uh, I remember going to the first school that I went, and um, there were kids from all over the place. And I remember feeling like so out of place and thinking, I'm never gonna, I'm not, I'm never gonna be able to make friends because I don't know these people, and like they don't, they speak Spanish, but they don't speak the same way I do or they don't like the music that I do. So it was, it was, it was a life-changing event. Uh, Itziana, what, what would be some of the, the aspects, the basic aspects of, of DACA or uh, Dreamers as the recipients are called um, that you would want our audience to know? Um, I think similarly to what Hamima said, um, we were all children. Most of us were children, young children when we came to the U.S. Um, and we pretty much grew up here. Uh, we have our lives um, kind of settled here in a sense. Um, and, you know, we love this country as much as a person who was naturally born here uh, because this is the country that we know. This is the country where we grew up in. Uh, and this is a country that's given us uh, several opportunities despite um, the limitations that we have with DACA. Mm. What are some of the common misunderstandings or misconceptions about DACA or DREAMers? Um, Itziana, we'll start with you. Um, I think a lot of the times people assume that we get some type of benefits. I've heard that, and I've seen that so much on social media, um, people thinking that we um, we can take welfare or we can take some kind of uh, uh, financial aid, which is not true. Um, we pay our taxes. We get deductions every paycheck. Um, we pay Medicare, Social Security, FICA, all of that. Um, but we don't necessarily get any of those benefits. Um, another thing I see is a lot of them are criminals. Um, well, like you mentioned, we have to pass a background check. Um, we can't have felonies or, or we're limited to misdemeanors. Um, so sometimes for us, even just a ticket can be scary, like a speeding ticket can be scary. Um, because it can it can mean that we are in risk of not being renewed again. Um, so some of those things that I see constantly that, you know, it's just misinformation, um, not necessarily the truth about who DACA recipients are and what they represent. So, yeah, I would say those two things for sure. Himaima, uh, hey, what would you add about some of the common misconceptions or misunderstandings about DREAMers or DACA itself? Uh, some of the comments that I've heard is that why haven't I uh, filed citizenship? Um, so 
there's for us so far there's no pathway to citizenship the only there are only two ways that that could happen it's either if we uh if our if our spouse is a american citizen that would be one way or the other way is if one of our family members like a like a brother or a parent it becomes a citizen then that way we could file a petition for citizenship but a lot of people don't know this so when we when we try to tell them our story they're like but why don't you make a change well because it's not that easy I realize this question could literally take up a, a few interviews, um, but give us a, a glimpse into the life of most dreamers. Um, Himaima, we'll start with you. I would like to say that it depends on the person. It depends on the uh, circle of influence that the person has, but um, I can speak for myself. I I went to high school. I dedicated a lot of time uh, in getting good grades because I knew that the only way that I could uh, be able to go to college was having a good resume. However, I wasn't going to be able to get any financial aid, so I had to work, uh, and I had to work a lot. So I was working full-time and was almost like a full-time student. So it was difficult for me because it took me longer. Uh, a lot of people graduate in four years. Uh, to get a bachelor's degree, it took me six years to be able to do so because I was paying as I was getting my classes. Um, another thing that I would like to say is that a lot of these kids, they're, uh, if they're trying to get higher education, they don't have the resources because they're part, they're, uh, most of the times they're like first generation uh, college uh, students. So their parents don't know uh, what it is to like file an application, they don't know like any resources where they can um, try to connect, uh, get connected with other people. So uh, I think we just need to become aware that even though these people are living here, uh, they're not from here. So they're trying to get accustomed to this country and to all the procedures that it takes for a person to have a good life. Uh, however, it's difficult because uh, for example, in my case, when I was in high school, I was a top. It was a top. I was a top five percent, but I didn't know that I was able to um, file an application to any public university. Like here in Texas, that's what you're able to do, but I didn't know that. So um, it took me longer to be able to go to the community college first, and then after getting my all of my. Um, basic classes then transfer to a like a college hmm. it's iana um i would say similarly to what Hamima said um a lot of these a lot of us like live among um just normal people and we don't really know that they are DACA recipients uh we have a pretty normal life up until things start to get complicated and you need to get a job and then um, you can't get a job because you don't have a social security number. Um, and then you start realizing these things as you get older, when you're a child, I mean, you kind of know, um, but then you start getting older and you, you try to do a lot of the things your friends are doing and you can't get a driver's license. Um, you can't fly on an airplane, you can't leave the country. And then things start kind of settling in and you realize, um, 
my life is not like everybody else's. I don't have the same opportunities as uh, everybody else does. Um, and a lot of the, the times, um, there's not a whole lot of resources for us as far as going to school or uh, even getting a job. Um, so when we do go to school, when we do graduate, uh, people need to know that it takes a lot. It takes a lot of effort from a lot of people um, to help you make it happen. Um, we're not at this alone. Uh, thankfully, I think that the church plays a played a really important role in my life um, as far as going to school and getting higher education. Um, but a lot of dreamers don't have that. A lot of dreamers don't have that support system. Um, and so it's hard for them to actually reach their goals and to um, better their lives, which is what their parents came here to do. Um, that was the whole point of coming to the U.S. is that we would get a better life um, than we would in our countries or in our home countries. Now, on June the 18th, 2020, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled in favor of the DACA program, rejecting the Trump administration's 2017 intent to terminate the program. This decision restores the program completely, and both initial and renewal applications uh, should be accepted by the United States Citizen Immigration Service, or the USCIS. So while this is a more recent judiciary ruling on the matter, where does the latest legal battle uh, stand with with all of this. Uh, it's Iana. Yes. Um, so from my understanding now is that currently, uh, I think about a month or a couple of uh, weeks later, uh, the administration came out and said uh, that they were going to change the renewal period from two years and they cut it back to one year. Same price. Um, and then they were not accepting new applications anymore. Um, so currently only the people who already had it could reapply and re be renewed, uh, but no new applications were being accepted. So that leaves a bunch of people who were getting to the point where they could apply, uh, they left them out um, and they couldn't, they can't apply right now. Um, and then also, you know, cutting it back to a year when sometimes these renewals can take up to six months uh, and putting a lot of people's jobs in jeopardy. Um, and, uh, you know, it's just a scary time for a lot of DACA recipients because they don't know what's going to happen. And, you know, the election is is kind of a turning point for us, uh, whether uh, this keeps going or something better is coming. Yeah, and we're going to jump into the election conversation here in, in just a moment. But I want to see if uh, Himame, if you had any other uh, things you want to add to the conversation about any other legal battles, you know, of that are currently happening. Uh, the only comment I would like to add is that I have a lot, I have some friends that they are American citizens and they often ask me like, what can I do? Uh, and I tell them, just talk to your representatives, just let them know that you are in favor of us being able to, uh, just have a normal life here. And I think that helps a lot because like the more they know that they, that people care for us. The, the more willing they'll be do they'll be willing to do something about it. Um, now immigration is always a topic during the election season. So to the best of your ability in a nonpartisan way, um, what do you, what can you tell us about where these two presidential candidates stand on immigration? Uh, Himaima, we'll start with you. Um 
I think at the end of the day, for us that we uh, have faith and that we hold on to our faith, we have to ask ourselves, are we following what God wants us to do or are we doing what people tells us to do or what society tells us to do? And that's pretty much it. My, I don't want to get into much controversy. <laughs> Uh, I certainly understand. Uh, that's you know, as I said, as the best of your as your ability can to be nonpartisan on this. Uh, Itziana, as far as you know, I don't know if you want to add where you where you understand these two candidates stand on the issue of immigration. Um, I think just based off experience, um, what we've seen in the last um, couple of years, um, there's been a push from the administration to end DACA and um, kind of leave it up to Congress to do something more permanent. Um, but we don't see movement from from either side, I would say. Um, I think it's kind of um, an issue that, that gets pushed around to either side and um, doesn't necessarily see a solution coming to fruition. Uh, but I've seen in the last couple of years that there's been a, a bigger push to end um, to, um, to just get rid of it. And I've seen a lot more, uh, obstacles in the recent years than I did in the past. Um, so that's, that's what I would say. I think that one, one side is trying to end it and the other maybe has plans, but doesn't really, doesn't necessarily act, um, in, in a favorable way either. Well, for those that are listening, um, you can actually check out um, kind of a, a nonpartisan site that allow you to see um, where each candidate has projected, where they stand on the issue of immigration and DACA. Um, kind of in, in a nutshell, um, Trump administration uh, hopes in second term would continue in the same pattern they have been, which is to end the DACA program and to have more stringent immigration reform. On uh, the Biden side, uh, the the policies presented are a continuation of DACA to make it a more permanent and uh, less focused on a two-year renewal piece. Um, so if you can check those out on your own, again, that's kind of a, a about as nonpartisan as you can get take on, on those two different uh, elements there. Uh, we want to pause and tell you about one of our annual sponsors, which is Fuller Seminary. Fuller Seminary's MA in Theology and Ministry offers a practice-focused theological education Learn from Fuller's seasoned scholar practitioners with online classes and apply what you're learning to your own context. Whatever your ministry goal, Fuller, Fuller Seminary's MA in Theology and Ministry will help you take the next step in your vocation. For more information, visit fuller.edu backslash MATM degree. That's fuller.edu backslash MATM degree. Uh, for many Christians, uh, there is a line uh, where theology ends and politics begins. And I'll give no commentary on the existence of that line or what determines the boundaries of that line. However, due to the existence of that line, there are many people who see immigration as a political matter. Um, why do you see it as a theological matter, uh, Himaima? Um, in my experience, I have to be honest, and I think it has to do with the fact that I've lived it personally. Sometimes when it's about an issue that doesn't affect us directly, we tend to care about it, but not as much. Sometimes we have to experience it firsthand, and that's been my case. 
Um, I, I think it's because from that perspective of what I've lived in, when I'm reading the Bible or when I'm hearing about the, the stories in the Bible, I'm, I'm, I have my lenses. And I know that Jesus was an immigrant. I know that he had to flee a country because uh, his life was at risk. So that's what I'm thinking because of my experience. And it's easy for me to relate to that. However, I understand that not a lot of people see it that way because, of, for example, if a person, uh, their grandparents and their parents have lived here all of their life, it's, they don't understand. So I would urge people just to try to have conversations with, with other Christians just so that they know their stories and see what is it that they're carrying and what's their context, because that makes a lot of, that, that makes a difference. It's Iana, we're going to break this down into size a little bit more in this section, but um, you know, what's your take on this? Why is immigration a theological issue? I think um, just simply put, it's, because we are created in the image of God, and if we believe truly believe that, then we 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 have to care about the issues that you know the children of God are facing. Um, you know, for me, it's like I can't say that I um, that I love God and that I love His people and I want to serve His people if I uh, don't care about what happens to the children who are separated from the parents or, um, the people, um, who are suffering oppression. Um, and I think to me, it just comes back to, you know, we as humans are created in the image of God. And, uh, I have to respect that because if God cares about it, I have to care about it. Now, going back to that line analogy, um, why do you think that line exists for many American Christians? Um, and will pick back up with you. Um, I think it's fear. I think uh, we as Christians fear, or we have fear of the unknown. And, and this topic of there's people coming in with different cultures, with uh, different languages. So uh, there's this fear within, but that fear is not coming from God. The fear of, of getting mixed up or losing your identity. And I think that contributes to the fact that some people, they, or even some Christians, I would say, they are scared. They are, they're, they're scared of immigrants taking over their country or they're scared of just uh, losing their identity. So I, I think that's one of the reasons why we, and I say we because I think we've all done it at a certain point. We don't understand or we don't care for the neighbor as we should, but we know that we should. It's Iana. Why do you think that line exists for some American Christians? I think part of it is fear, like Hamima said. And then I think the other part um, is just sometimes we get too comfortable in our line of thinking and we don't want to be pushed and we don't want to be challenged to think outside the box um, and to to push kind of the limits of what it is that God is, is uh, you know, bringing us to um, 
to participate in. And sometimes I think we just get too comfortable in our line of thinking. Um, and sometimes it's easier not to, not to say not care, but um, to not get involved um, because it can be hard and it can be challenging for us. And it can mean that, you know, our, our line of thinking and our, what we believed for all these years and how we were raised could be um, challenged. And I think that's some, the, the fear of not being comfortable uh, is, I think where sometimes we, we tend to not want to cross that line because of that. Itziana, we're going to take this question a little bit deeper. What do you think it would take to move that line or maybe even dissolve it? Um, I think even, I think the root of it is just having conversations with people. Um, I can't know about my brother or sister's um, struggles if I don't sit down with them and, and ask them and hear from them what is hurting them and what they are um, struggling with. Um, and I think part of the, part of the reason is that we don't know um, or we're not informed is because we don't have those conversations often enough. Um, and it's on both sides. It's up to me to take the microphone or, you know, take the stage and share my story, but it's also up to others to want to sit down and, and listen to me and listen to what my struggle is. Um, and I think it's on both sides. We, we have to have a voice and we have to use our voice, but we also want to be heard. And, um, I think it's just having those conversations. And once you know someone who's going through it, you'll, you'll think about it more and you'll, you'll know that it's not just that one person that's being affected by it. It's, it's a lot, it's a lot of people, um, who are struggling with it and, and who need help and who need our support, um, as whatever that support looks like. Jemima? Uh, there's this analogy that I always think of, and it's like, if there's a pie, and life in the United States, I see it as a, as a pie. Just because I want to have a piece, it doesn't mean that the other person next to me is going to have a, a way smaller piece. Like we, can, we can all thrive, we can all do our lives and be successful. And, and I think if we have this mindset that there are opportunities for everybody, we won't be as opposing to letting other people go for their dreams and, and fight for what they really want for, which is just a basic human desire just to have a better life and be able to have an opportunity at it. Um, that, yeah. Then that's all. Sums it up. Yeah, you know, and kind of the irony of of what you're saying is that a lot of people think that to elevate others denigrates themselves or causes themselves to go down. But actually, anthropologists have found that in society, when we elevate others, our standing elevates as well. Um, you said which, it perfectly. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, the irony of it is America is always a, a me first mentality. So. Um, you know, in a sense, putting others first also elevates yourself uh, to first as well, um, maybe for, for lack of better words. Um, so 50, 57% of evangelical Christians in the U.S. believe DACA recipients should be allowed to become citizens against 15% that believe they should not be allowed to become legal residents, but not citizens. 
and 19% believe they should be deported. What words do you have for that 19% of your brothers and sisters that reject your presence in this country? Um, Itziana, we'll let you tee this one up first. Um, you know, it's hard to say something that would, I, I wouldn't say try to change their mind because I don't know that I could, or, or that's the goal. Um, I would just say that, um, you know, a lot of us are asking for just an opportunity to continue to live a life, um, out of fear. And, um, I would just say, try to get to know us, try to get to know who we are and what we contribute. Um, and, and not, don't think about it as this person's illegal, this person's undocumented, this person did something wrong and, uh, see it as a place to get to know someone, uh, just a human being. And, uh, you know, as human beings, sometimes we all need a little bit of mercy. Um, and so I think that's what I would tell them. Imaima? I would ask them, uh, what is it about me or about any other DACA recipients that makes them feel threatened? Because I don't understand, honestly. So I would ask them, why, why do you feel threatened that I'm here? Just so that I could understand. So almost every summer for the last 15 years, I've taken a team to Ecuador for a mission immersion. And it seems as though the week we go coincides with endless other church groups going on mission trips. So they're all with their matching t-shirts in the Atlanta or Miami airport as they head off to Mexico or Central America. From a Christian perspective, what are your thoughts on individuals wanting to do mission work in the countries you were born in? but don't support immigration or your presence in their country. Himaima? Um, um, I see it as a double standard. And I understand that uh, we all as humans have double standards, but I would, I would try to just let them know that it's the same. It's a different country. But we, as the DACA recipients, we are here and they could do missions here with us. But I think it's just, a, we just need a shift in perspective that if it's a different country, you can go and you can be as merciful and as loving to uh, other people, but not here in your home country, but why? So. I would tell them, just try to open up your eyes and see that it's the same. Missions, it's not about going to a different place. It's admissions can be within your community, within your city. I don't know if it's I want to add something else. It's Iana. Um, I think similarly, um, you know, it's great that we go out and we do missions, whether it be us, uh, people going out and, and to the, going to other countries and doing the mission work. Um, or if you're here and you're supporting it with, you know, offerings and, and you know, prayer. Um, but I think that, you know, the people that you encounter there, um, 
are the same people that you might encounter a couple years down the line who are trying to cross the border, uh, who are trying to flee violence and who are trying to get a better life for their children. Um, so just, I would say, think about that when you are, when, you know, you're doing mission work down south of the border, uh, is that those same people you were went to serve are the people who are trying to come here or have come here. Um, and just to, to, you know, remind ourselves that, you know, it's, it's great to go out to other countries and, and do the mission work. Um, that's what the Great Commission tells us, right? Go out to the world and, and preach, right? Um, but we have to remember that sometimes, or all the time, really, uh, that the mission field is here and it's at home. And it's not just, you know, uh, going out to a different country to do it. We can do the work here as well. All right. All I have to say is y'all are a whole lot nicer than I would be. <laughs> this question. <laughs> y'all are so gentle with it. Um, you know, at, at, at the most basic level, Jesus told us the most important thing about our faith is to love God and love our neighbors. Uh, dreamers are our neighbors. Uh, in fact, the central, uh, the Center for um, Migration Studies found that dreamers are nearly uh, 44,000 healthcare and social assistant workers, 21,000 transportation and warehouse workers, nearly 33,000 retail workers, 15,000 in manufacturing sector, 13,000 supportive support and waste management services, and 76,000 in the food industry. Most, if not all of these jobs were classified as essential during this pandemic. Why do you think people who are against DACA are so willing to reap the benefits of dreamer workers, uh, but unwilling to support their citizenship status? Um, it's Iana. Um, you know, to be honest, I don't, I don't understand that myself. <laughs> um, I don't know why some things are acceptable and why some aren't. Um, I just think that. You know, sometimes we can be a little bit, um, man, I can't think of the word in English. I'm thinking in Spanish, sorry. Um, a little selfish in what we have. And sometimes we don't want to share it because we're afraid of what that will take from us. Um, and I maybe that's a reason. I'm not sure. Uh, that maybe that, uh, you know, people who are here think that we are going to take away uh, once we become citizens or we become residents. Um but that's not the case. I think um, in we contribute, we'll contribute more than we do now, I think. Um, but that's been a question for me, why some things are acceptable and why or why they draw the line on certain things and why um, they're not willing to go all the way, I think. Um, that's something I don't quite understand myself. Jemima? Hmm. I'm not sure, but I, I think it has to do with the commitment level that we have. I think uh, there's um, there's openness for us to be here and work here. So at least uh, we can have that benefit. However, a person that is opposing immigration, it's thinking, okay, they can work, that's it. They cannot there to, um, believe themselves to be Americans, they can just get the benefit of working and that's it. Um, so I think it's it's not being committed 100% to the cost. 
Because when you believe in something, when you truly believe in something, you're willing to do whatever it takes for, for it to become or for it to happen. And I think it has to do with the fact, or at least uh, a lot of people that I've that I've known of that I've come across that they don't uh, they don't care for immigrants is because they don't really have a love of one that it's an immigrant. So I think that has to do a lot with it. If we were um, willing to just get to know other people, di- different than how we look, I think that would allow us to just be more receptive to us, like the DACA recipients, uh, being able to uh, just adapt fully to this country. Because like we've been here for a long time and and we've been trying we've been trying and we've been striving to to do better. However, it's like there's like a ceiling. We we only can get up to that point and that's it. You know, I think a lot of these questions might come across as some of our audience is maybe pessimistic or working out of a scarcity. Um, but, but I think the reality is that uh, one of the things that I'm trying to underscore is the theological breakdown for a lot of uh, Christians within this country when it comes to the conversation of immigration and DACA. Um, and sometimes we have to ask those difficult questions or point out the fallacies of um, those types of contradictions in order to get down to the root of what's going on here. Um, at the same time, we realize that there are churches that are doing powerful things to come alongside dreamers. Uh, so I wonder if we can take some time to talk about some of those churches and some of the work um, that's being done. Um, and Himaima, I'll kick that question to you first. And this is something that I really like to share. Um, when I graduated college, I didn't have I didn't have a social security number. And that was back in 2012. So I graduated in May, and uh, by I think it was June or July that was when DACA uh, was announced. After that, I was already involved in my church. So even though I had a college degree, I didn't have any experience because I didn't have a social security number before. So I had to I had to be able to uh, know some people that will that they were willing to give me an opportunity, even though I didn't have any experience to back it up. And I always say that this was uh, thanks to my church and to the ministers um, that I go to church with because they were advocating for me. Um, they took the time to sit down with who's actually my current, I'm sorry, there's noise in my house. Uh, they took the time to sit down, to be able to advocate for me and to tell other people that it was worth giving me a try just so that I can prove, just so that I could prove that I'm a hardworking person, that I'm responsible, that I'll be uh, willing to to do whatever it takes to be able to just have a job, a job worthy of the education that I worked so hard to get. Um, so, and I'm really thankful for that. I, I, I think that's that's what we need to focus on, just letting people know that if if you 
care for your neighbor, if you um, profess the love of God, the natural thing to do is just let other people have an opportunity. Let other people try and even prove you wrong. Because we don't know what surprises a person can give you. So um, let me be a little, bit, a little bit more specific. Uh, when I started working at the place where I currently work, I had never done any uh, database work before. So I sat down with who's my current supervisor and I informed her that I was willing to try, uh, but I didn't have any experience. And, and because I had a good letter of recommendation, she was like, let's try it. Let's try it. Let's, uh, let's see how this goes. And I've been there for three years now. Itziana, um, you know, ways that you're seeing churches come alongside dreamers. I think the biggest way, um, and I love that I get to brag on my church, um, uh, our churches have been one of the churches that has advocated so much for dreamers. And I think part of the reason is because we have a lot of dreamers in our church. Um, and we've seen firsthand, uh, how it affects so many young people, and even people with, you know, who are married and have families and, you know, people in their 30s, people in their 20s, people who are teenagers. Um, and I think they've done such a great job at advocating and just putting the word out there of what can we do um, to support dreamers. Um, going to conferences, going to Washington, D.C. and speaking to the um, the representatives and the senators and the congressmen and um, just being loud um, and just being active um, and even presenting us with these types of opportunities. If it wasn't for relationships that uh, people in our church have um, with CBF and with all these other organizations, we wouldn't be here sharing our stories. Um, and it's because of those relationships and those, uh, uh, you know, just the connection that people have with uh, other organizations that are advocating, who are pushing for reform, who are pushing for a, a legal pathway to citizenship, um, it wouldn't be possible for us to be here and share these stories. And and maybe people would know who Itzayana is, who Hemima is, um, because if it wasn't for you guys, um, maybe our voices wouldn't be amplified. Um, and so I think that churches who are doing that, I, I applaud them and I'm so thankful for them because it's, it's not an easy fight, but if we have our brothers and sisters in Christ who join us, um, hand in hand and said, and tell us we're not alone and we're with you and we're fighting with you and for you, um, that just, it makes a world of a difference for us as dreamers. You know, taking on immigration reform can feel overwhelming for individuals so collectively as the local church um what can the church do um uh, i would suggest just keep advocating um like a like itayana mentioned uh the church i go to uh, is there they've worked so hard in advocating for us that um I, 
I honestly believe that we're doing the most that we can. Uh, just letting people know our stories, uh, sharing conversations about this topic, and and keep engaging with the local um, representatives, uh, talking to our state representatives as well. So, like she mentioned before, it's just willing to be able to step out of our comfort zone to keep fighting. Um, making phone calls, having conversations. Uh, I, I think those are simple steps, but they make a difference. Itziana? Uh, very much like Kamima said, as advocating, and sometimes that means just um, asking the type of questions that we're, we're asking right now and talking, having these types of conversations um, so that others can know the stories and others can... Um, be challenged by these types of questions because I, 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 to us, they're challenging. And um, to maybe I can imagine that other people hearing it might be, you know, gears might be shifting in their in their brains. Um, and, you know, just using the voices because sometimes when we know this, some voices are heard louder than others. And, you know, sometimes we know when we can advocate and we know that our voices are going to be heard and we use those voices to help uh, those who may not have a voice or who are not heard as loudly as we are. Um, and so I would just continue to say that is just use your voice, um, advocate, call the representatives, keep doing what I keep, I think just keep doing what we're doing and then challenging those who may not think the same way or who may not see it the same way and, and, you know, have those difficult conversations because it's it's time that we do have them and we continue to have them. That's our last question. Um, is help us think about some of the organizations that churches can partner with um, on the local, state, and national level that are doing work with DACA recipients. Um, it's Iana. Well, I would say CBF is one of them uh, for sure. And then the, uh, I actually have it pulled up right here. The Ev Evangelical Immigration Table is another one that uh, does great work. Um, and then locally, you know, there's always several organizations that help immigrants. Um, our church actually partners or has a set immigration center uh, for low income or low resource people. Um, and they help uh, people um with their legal status, um, are there anything from like U visas to um, DACA and citizenship and residency? Um, and it's a local organization, but you know, I'm sure that every town or every city has something local that we can partner, even if it's just to share information because sometimes people don't know that these organizations exist. And so we have, the churches have those resources to even share with the congregants and say, you know what, you need, immigration help here's one and share it and you know maybe there's an option for them um so i would just say you know if we hear of uh immigration um organizations who are fighting uh, to share them even if uh, we can't necessarily join but we just sharing the information is so powerful himaima uh local state and national organizations that we can partner with uh, National Immigration Firm, they actually, uh, they gave me the opportunity of uh, 
paying for my expenses to go to Washington, D.C. That was back in 2018, just to be able to have conversations with the state representatives. And, and that was such a beautiful experience, just to be able to sit down with them and just let them know our stories. Because uh, 10 years ago, I wouldn't have been able to think that that was even possible. Uh, the other one, uh, there's also uh, this, uh, what is it called? BCD Dreamer Prayer Call, and they do that every month, love, every month for all of the dreamers. So they do like a Zoom meeting, and you're able to log in, share your story, and just get updates of what's happening nationwide. Well, I want to extend a thank you to those that are watching um, and for adding your questions, some of those that we were able to ask as part of our conversation today. Uh, Himama and Itziana, uh, thank you for sharing your story so transparently and your willingness to call us to live out the implications of the gospel for the immigrants, God's children who live among us. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you. Well, that's it. That's our conversation. Be sure to support our annual sponsors by visiting their websites at fuller.edu and healthychurch.org. Check out cbf.net for information about our church starters, field personnel, advocacy work, chaplains, and much more. Oh, and uh, one more thing I don't think we've mentioned on the podcast before, but visit cbf.net backslash podcast support for ways that you can contribute to the CBF podcast conversations and get some pretty cool stuff in return.